Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards that never agreed to. Tonight, we're continuing our Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month by talking about Pacific Islander director Taika Waititi. We'll be talking about his work sort of broadly, but specifically about the original film, What We Do in the Shadows. Not the, not the show, we'll probably talk about that a little bit, but the movie, uh, which he wrote and co-directed with Jermaine Clement. Also, a Pacific Islander director and writer. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary, my co-host, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? Dead but delicious is the line I'm stealing for the title of my autobiography. Posthumous. It would have to be published posthumous. I can be dead inside well before then. Okay. As somebody who is... Challenging the binary of sexy werewolf and sexy vampire. This is going to be a movie where we need your voice. Yes. Look, emotionally devastated, but fuckable is a vibe I definitely think I can pull off. Okay. Sounds good. I'll see you at the Unholy Masquerade. And speaking yeah. of which, the cinnamon roll of Cenobites, our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? I'm just glad that I don't have to go to any Unholy Masquerades ever again. It's more a get-to. Yeah. I, w- I don't feel compelled to. No one is compelling you. No one is. Com- I am no- nobody's thrall. Yeah. Okay. So I do like how this movie explores themes of exploring the creative process and how works of art are built upon what's come past. Best exemplified when they do a Lost Boys and then add a snake penis to it. Yes. Yes, yes. And also, before we get too deep down that particular rabbit hole, our guest, our friend, and the writer of the Kamikaze comic series, Carrie Tapper. Welcome back, Carrie. You are on mute. Yes, so super mute. I would, yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me. Uh, I'm really excited about coming back and being here, and I'm really glad that my last appearance didn't scare you guys, send you guys screaming into the hills of, please, not another book. <laughs> yes, well, Don't worry about that. Now you're here to do our dark bidding on the internet. Yes. What are you bidding on tonight? (laughs) I am bidding on... I'm bidding on old books that are at least from the 1700s. That's what I'm bidding on. Where? Where can I find that? (laughs) Yeah, hook up. You need to go to the dark side. I have to go to the dark web. (laughs) The fucking mental high five that Taika and or Jermaine must have given themselves when they came up with that dark bidding oh. joke. Oh, yeah. Like, that's the kind of joke where you're just like, fucking, we're getting lunch early. You <laughs> fucking did it. It's the, one, it's the one that me, as a writer, I didn't even laugh at. I just went, nice. Good yeah. job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's- I feel like Jeremy and I had a moment like that when we were working on a project. And he suggested a name for a city. And I was like, no, no, we can't do that. And, and then, then Jeremy was like, but we did. <laughs> like, there's a moment where it's like, that's too on the nose. We can't do that. And somebody else says, shut up. We're doing yeah. it. Yeah, no. 
go forward, move ahead. Yeah. Yeah. The the basics of this one, as we mentioned, oh. it is written and directed by Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement. Weirdly, at the time, I feel like Jermaine Clement was the bigger name, and it's kind of switched since then. Yes, de- yeah. definitely was, because he was the one who was in Flight of the Concords, yeah. which was the more well-known. Was Jermaine the hippopotamus or the rhinoceros? I think he's the hippopotamus. His rhymes are okay. bottomless. Oh, that's right. Jermaine Clement, also the sparkly crab in Milana. Yeah. A role I assume he will be reprising in live action. No. Just him scuttling around on all fours of just a big fucking shiny shell on his back. All practical effects, baby. Is it weird that I wish that they wouldn't make those anymore? Like, if they're going to do live action, can they do the stuff that they fucked up on the first time and then redo it better? Yeah, or just go to, like, Broadway with it. Yeah, like, I want to see Atlantis on Broadway. Yeah. Please? There aren't any songs in that show. But Atlantis is cool, though. There's some things that need to be fixed. That's okay. I want them to go all the way back around to where that we just start getting like crazy animated remakes where it's like, fucking what the hey, we're doing like full animated, 2D animated Raiders of the Lost Ark. Let's do it. <laughs> I mean, the thing about Atlantis is if you were to do that in animation, it would have to be rated PG-13 if she's built anything like she is in the cartoon version. Man, Absolutely. I really want to see Disney sink $200 million into a live-action Treasure Planet remake. Yeah, Treasure Planet, yes. True. I have to stick to my guns with Atlantis because it was all the, the character design in that movie. All Most of the design, actually, in the movie is Mike Mignola. Yeah. And that fucking rules. Yeah, all right. so much. Speaking of Mike what, Mignola. What if live-action Toy Story, but it's horror and we let David F. Sandberg direct it? Absolutely not. I I refuse. <laughs> That is awful. Why would you do that? Unless we get to see Tim Allen's arms get ripped off. Oh, yeah. All right. So we're not talking about Atlantis or Toy Story. Or Tim Allen's arms getting ripped. Uh, We are talking about what we do in the shadows, which also stars Tego ATD, Jermaine Clement, and Corey Gonzalez, most masseur, Johnny Brooke, and eventually a nice good-sized cameo for Reese Darby, who... I feel like at this point was not nearly as big of a name either, but, you know, has, has since become much better known. Also, yeah. turns out that thanks to our flag means death, it is now physically impossible to put Taika Waititi and Rice Darby on screen and for me not to ship them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Uh... They are alpha wolf dandy vampire boyfriends. Okay, AO3, just telling you right now, if that's not there, then I'm commissioning some of you. For exposure. Okay. For, for two guys who don't immediately <laughs> on their own have a lot of, I don't know, they're not immediately characters or people that you're like, oh, very sexual. As soon as you get the two of them together, they're like, oh, I know, right? Got a thing going on here. Taika Waititi is incredibly sexual. Taika Waititi might be now. He was not at this point when he was a, a tiny Are you telling me man. that? He was a closeted pansexual. Are, are, are you telling me that Taika doing threesomes YTD is a bit of a horny dude? <laughs> I do appreciate. I do appreciate Jonathan Brow's uh, Deacon's quote unquote erotic dance for his friends. Oh, good. So, shall I go into this recap? Yes. Yeah, you do. Um, do your erotic dance for your friends. I, me, I will do. By it. which I mean. I, Tell us the story. For for the record, Jeremy says that explicitly, mm-hmm. not me. 
I am using the words embarrassingly horny in this recap. So, um, but you know, that's only for these guys. Now, I mean, look, Stu, <laughs> Stu will have that effect on anyone. That's true. Okay, so our recap. We start with a very cleverly placed phony New Zealand documentary board ident. And the uh, explanation that every few years in this in this town in New Zealand, there is an unholy masquerade. And this is a documentary put together for participants of that masquerade. And we're going to see how they live and who they are. And well, also, specifically, this town is Wellington, which yes, will not Wellington. be terribly important in this movie, except for that the people who will then later be the cast of Wellington PD will show up in this movie as yes. themselves. Yes. So... Uh, we focus on a select group of vampires living together. The documentary crew is protected from their vampiric powders with various talismans, just so we know that, you know, the proper rules have been followed. So, you know, this isn't just a blood fest yet. We meet our found family. We have Viago von Dona Schmarten Schaden Heimberg. He is a fancy German lad and he's played by Taika Waititi. We have Deacon Bruche, the less fancy and less German young bad boy, played by Jonathan Bruch. We have Vladislav the Poker, which is, he's the dead but delicious, ancient Vlad the Impaler kind of guy, played by Jermaine Clement. And then we have Peter, the 8,000-year-old Nosferatu vampire living in the basement, who is played by Ben Fransham. Not a lot of lines other than various hissing from this guy, but he's an important part of the family. As he is the sire of Deacon. Some great so, hissing, though. Yeah, he's very good at hissings. Knocks it out of the park. So, we quickly establish that they are a lot more human than you might think, these vampires. For starters, they are petty idiots that fight over chores. They are, as I have said, embarrassingly horny. Very human trait. And uh, they hang on to petty, old, uh, outdated ideas, which is also a pretty human trait. This vampire coterie has come from Central Europe to New Zealand for various reasons. Love, political asylum, boredom. And through their eyes, we meet the Wellington uh, community. Asylum Nazi, specifically. Yeah, yeah. Deacon was a Nazi vampire. We have some anachronistic ideas also Vladislav does suggest that they get slaves to do their dishes but at least they know that those ideas are outdated i mean i think they're all like 400 years old at this point right? oh no deacon is the uh bad boy who's uh, only about 180 the young right. boy the young boy He's, of the group he, young bad boy who has to do the dishes we start to see some of the local vampires of the nightlife and we meet jackie who is deacon's human familiar she has been tasked with finding victims, doing various chores, mowing lawns, etc. In exchange for, well, she's mostly hypnotized, but she has also been promised eternal life by way of Deacon's eternal vampire kiss. We also find out that Vladislav's powers of poking and, and hypnosis at all have been diminished lately because of some emotional baggage. You know, just a day in the life, or not, excuse me, night in the life. Night in the afterlife. Night in the, thank you very important our story starts more or less when jackie brings over some victims for dinner including nick who is a simple loser accidentally turned into a vampire by peter when he was uh, intended to be eaten two months after being turned nick has returned to the vampire house to try to be part of the crew his integration as deacon's broodmate is a bit rough but the other vamps appreciate his ability to get into clubs and also he has brought his human best friend Stu, 
we also meet Anton, the uh, self-proclaimed alpha male of the werewolf pack. Werewolves, not werewolves, who are the rivals of the vampire house. Stu is quickly a favorite of the vampire house. He takes the news that Nick is a vampire and the fact that vampires are real pretty well. And everyone agrees not to eat him. He also helps introduce them to things like the internet and texting. Um, I love how much they love Stu, but also how much Stu is just a dude. Yeah, Stu is just a dude, possibly a virgin, which can only mean that they are incredibly inflicted about... I mean, there's a lot of discipline going on here because virgin blood is like prime. Stu is played by a real high school friend of Taika Waititi's who was told he was just being brought on for a small bit part role, and he was not told how important the role actually was to the movie until he got to the actual premiere. Amazing. I did not know that. I actually don't know a lot of trivia about this movie because I've been behind the scenes of this in a big way, but I don't know any of these people. I don't know Taika Waititi otherwise. It started out as a kind of comedy performance bit, then like a short film, then this movie. Yeah, so yeah, the movie was based off a short film called What We Do in the Shadows, Interviews with Some Vampires. And that was uh, sort of a, a short version of this, from what I understand. It started with like, they would go to stand-up clubs with one of them performing as a vampire and the other also as a vampire, but in the crowd heckling him. That is the most, this, this, just the most brilliant thing I've ever heard in my life. For real. Like, I can't get over that. Like, I keep thinking about that. And I'm like, what's my spin? But imagine being in that crowd. We have no idea about what, what we do in the shadows or who the fuck a Taika Waititi is. Aside from maybe, wait, was he Ryan Reynolds' friend in Green Lantern? <laughs> Which, yes. Yes, he was. I haven't uh-huh. even seen Green Lantern, but that's it's incredible. crazy. I mean, I've heard about it. it. This is a movie with a cast including Ryan Reynolds, Taika Waititi and Mark Strong, directed by Martin Campbell, and it is just hot garbage. That's that's really weird. I mean, like, just because you have all the right ingredients doesn't mean that you can make a cake, right? This is you the magic. Really fuck it up. Yeah, yeah. These were some uh, great tastes that did not taste great together. It's too bad. But anyway, back to our vampires uh, and which is great. a great taste. Yes, the great taste. Stew, I'm sure, is a great taste, but they all exercise incredible discipline and decide not to eat him. So now, with the newfound power of the internet, Viago starts stalking his crush, the now elderly Catherine. Nick starts spreading around the fact that he's a vampire, causing conflict in the group. He then begins to feel some regret regarding his new state of being, as he can no longer imbibe human food, that is, chips. And Jackie is duly pissed that Nick is now a vampire instead of her. Real intense consequences do occur as Nick's loose lips have caused Peter's death due to a vampire hunter house invasion turned fatal sunlight accident. Rest in peace, Peter. Deacon then tries to kill Nick and the subsequent racket alerts the police, that is Officer O'Leary and Officer Minogue. Fortunately, the vampires barely managed to escape a citation with the coming use of hypnotism. Nick is not killed, but rather banished from the vampire house. But not Sue. Sue can still visit. Several months later, we are amping up for the Unholy Masquerade, the the annual gathering of the local undead community. We've got zombies, banshees, vampires, no werewolves, though, and definitely no humans. Although that's not specified on the invitation. 
Vladislav thinks he'll be the guest of honor, but finds out that it is actually the Beast, his old rival and ex-girlfriend. This sends him into a depressive episode, and he decides to skip the party for the time being. At the party, we catch up with Jackie, who is now a vampire with the help of Nick. And Nick has brought Stu as his plus one. Did not get the memo, since Stu being a predeceased human marks him as a delicious snack. The undead community really wants to eat Stu and does not have the collective discipline of the smaller group of the vampire house. So Viago et al. defends Stu and the camera guys, even though uh, Vladislav, who shows up at the last minute, says that they can eat one of the camera guys. But all the camera guys escape, including Stu. And everything's great until they encounter the moon madness of the werewolves, not swearwolves. We lose some camera guys and Stu and the vampire crew is devastated. But Park, Nick has a big surprise for all of us. Stu survived. He is now a werewolf. His friendship with the vampires has brokered a peace between the rival groups and they can drink together and make jokes about penises. As a bonus, Viago has turned his elderly crush into a vampire so they can live happily ever after. And Jackie has now turned her husband into her familiar. Good for her. And that's essentially the story. But like with the many documentaries, because this is a real documentary based on events in real time, the real, what's the word? The meat is in the presentation, I think. Carrie, when did you first see this movie? I saw this movie in what I think was maybe 2017. It was... Halloween, I had, or it was like, it was like the day or so before Halloween. And I was just like, fuck it. I want to watch something dumb and goofy. And I saw, I had seen like some things on Twitter talking about what we do in the shadows. And I was like, you know what? I've, I've heard people make interesting things about this. So let me just watch it. I'm in the middle of this film and my husband comes in and like, what you watching? And I'm like, you're not going to understand a damn thing unless I rewind this. So. They had to stop it in the middle of the film and rewatch it from the beginning, which we absolutely loved it. We actually quote it quite often. I mean, that says a lot right there that you were like, well, this is only going to make sense if I rewind it all the way. <laughs> so clearly we are, I'm down to watch it all over again. Let's yeah. go. Basically. And then the next day we went to a friend's Halloween party, which was amazing. She's like this cook. They were like, what should we watch? And I was like, what we do in the shadows? And everybody's like, what? <laughs> I, I had to sort of explain what it was. And they were sort of like, okay, I guess we'll give it a shot. The music and all that sort of stuff starts coming in. And that's when, like, I go into the kitchen. And I'm like, oh, there's snacks. Cool. And there is a, I swear to God, she took in a life-size human fake skeleton and covered it in, like, prosciutto. Oh, and then had like little olives for the eyes. And like she had a bowl in the rib cage with like little veggie sausages. Mm. It was, it was, it, she just did the most <laughs> incredible. Dang, does she have big champ? Speaking of the theme, I do really just want to talk a little bit about what an amazing song and what a perfect find You're Dead by Norma Tanega is. Yes. Yeah. yeah, enough so that they kept it for the show. <laughs> I yes. mean, how can you? Yeah, how can you top that song? Yeah. The downloads, the uh the playlist editions, like that song was trending hardcore. Such it's a, a great good it's a great song. Drop. Yeah. Now, Jeremy, Emily, when when did y'all first experience this movie? Because I definitely watched this like pretty close to when it came out in 2015. So 
I, I was on that cult classic train from the beginning. I get to be a little hipstery about this movie. I don't remember when I saw it first because I know that I watched it before it came out because like it got a release in New Zealand and didn't do particularly well and then didn't get distributed internationally and then became like one of the most pirated movies of 2014. I saw it from somebody else's like burned copy of it. And I was like, this is the most brilliant fucking thing I've ever seen. I got to get a copy of this movie. And then it was not available. And I was like, how? What? It was like a while before there was actually like a version of it available. So I could like throw it at people and be like, go watch this. I remember watching it and being just devastated because I had had this concept for like a vampire comedy comic story that I wanted to do. It was called Ennui of the Dead. And it was just about like being a vampire and just sort of like the pain in the ass of just like the normal parts of being alive after being alive for several hundred years and having another vampire roommate and all that. And I, I just could never figure out like what to do with it. And then I watched this movie and I was like, fuck, they figured it out. They figured out what to do with the idea that I had, but they also had it. And I, I, I was so like jealous and, and devastated by it because it, it's so it's so fun. It's such a pure comedy. Like it really is. I doubt they had much more than like just the loosest of plots in their head versus just coming up with as many funny things and moments and scenes and reactions and then just like putting it together. Yeah, apparently like Taika and Jermaine wrote like 150 pages of script and then just didn't show it to anybody. And they just, you know, <laughs> gave them a rough idea of what the scenes were supposed to be about and improv everything. From what I understand, as a creator, Taika Waititi doesn't, at least in his directing, doesn't so much believe in like the concept of filming on script. Yeah. And that works sometimes in this case. I mean, with something like this, where you have everybody just pretending that they're stupid vampires, <laughs> it was brilliant. This is like, I talk about, you know, all the, all the ingredients that necessarily make the cake, but sometimes you measure with your heart. And this one was, this, this one was measured with the heart. My experience with this movie, it's speaking of the heart. It's very close to mine. Because when it first came out, I had seen ads for it and I had organized this big outing to go see it at the local indie theater because I was involved in a community of pre-deceased live action role players who had their own unholy masquerade. That is, we were playing Vampire the Masquerade. And so this shit is basically like that. It was like watching a documentary about all of my friends who took themselves super seriously in game. <laughs> and I just ate that shit up. We couldn't actually do the like the outing to the movie theater. So we ended up just doing a viewing party when it was released on like Netflix or whatever it was streaming on at the time. And uh, it was a huge hit. There's some colorful times in, in a LARP community. The LARP community is huge. There's a lot of people that are cool people that game. And then there is a lot of people who are really up their own ass. And it's really great to play like a murder mystery shared storytelling thing with a lot of people. But then there's some people that, you know, this vampire game was set up in the 90s to be like the most goth shit. Like it's every vampire trope ever with not a lot of humor brought to it. 
and everything is super grimdark. This movie felt like Taika and Jermaine were talking to me and they're like, look at these assholes. <laughs> and the absurdity of just the campiness of these fucking vampires. Yeah, yeah. I must only drink blood, which is why I can only wear skin tight leather pants. Yeah. <laughs> there was some drip. There was some drip in this movie, specifically Taika's floral pattern jean jacket. And I know he was ripping off Deacon style, but Stu looked way better in that like red black parade jacket he had going on. Oh, yeah. Like shirt. the adamant. Like, honestly, so that was probably the best outfit in the movie. It was like casual wear with the red black parade jacket. That yeah, was a look, and it was fucking banging. Taika with the, um, or I should say Viago, with the Victorian lace, with the cravat and everything. This little cravat killed me every And, and yeah. the camo pants. And the, and the camo pants. But that's the thing, is that, like, this is the kind of shit that you go to a LARP, and people who are, like, can't afford a whole fucking period costume, they're like, I'll just, do, and it's, I'm not dragging anybody for that, because it's, you know, it's fucking brilliant and Taika pulled it off. But like the kind of like, oh, yes, I was turned into a vampire when I was 16. That's why I always look 16. <laughs> and yeah, I was, yeah, I was born in the dark ages. 16 was very rough. Then, it was a know? tough time. Like yeah. that kind of shit. You know, so like so many great moments. I, uh, I love that. Like, this is a movie that I, I don't know how many people can see it the way that i think we see it but like that you can very much see the seams of that they were like all right vampires live a really long time so like these guys could be from very different times in history what if we just basically made a movie where it was like dracula very specifically like the gary oldman style dracula had to like share a house with Louis from Interview with the Vampire and Nosferatu, like Count Orlock from Nosferatu, and I guess the guy from Lost Boys, and maybe we pull in like a guy, you know, a guy who's basically the guy from Twilight, like, you know, later on. Yeah. Twilight! Twilight! <laughs> so, yeah, according to, the, I'm looking at the Wikipedia, so yes. take that with that grain of salt. But um... Well, so again, the one about Vlad has a citation, so I will citation it. Yeah. And Vladislav the Poker is explicitly based off of Gary Oldman's Dracula. <laughs> well, Viago is mostly based. Oh, I don't want to steal your trivia, Thunder. Oh, no, go, you go. Viago is apparently primarily based after Taika Waititi's mother, which is really? wonderful. Apparently, That's it's adorable. a mixture of Taika Waititi's mother and C3PO, which I can also <laughs> see C3PO in there. It's such a dumb joke, but his delivery on. Yeah, every time their delivery is so good. That's like what this, sells it. Like this is writing, acting, and it's Christopher Guestiness. This is without a doubt one of like the titans of horror comedy. Yeah, and and having all these actors kind of, you know, they choose these actors because they're having fun. Oh, yeah, like, mm -hmm. this is in the pantheon of Evil Dead 2 and Young Frankenstein in terms of horror comedies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very little actual horror with the exception of, like, the werewolf attack and the, like, it's almost a montage of them doing bits as they chase Stu around the house. Like, 
You the know, one just, bit that's kind of scary is when the hand comes out of the back, comes out of Stu's backpack while he's wearing it. <laughs> I mean, that's that whole, pretty creepy, right there. That whole sequence had some good stuff, although it was a bit like it was a bit softened by Taika doing like a really bad vampire impression as a vampire. Like that's another thing that I love about it. Well, just that you get the kill, you get you get the continuation of the he keeps striking in a, like a vein and causing a big mess. He keeps hitting arteries. And that's the thing too, is that like you have like I've I've been around so many people that pretend to be vampires. And there's like a level I have that that is a sentence I've never had to say before. <laughs> what? I, I've been around so many people who pretend to be vampires. I mean, we know where you live, Ben. Just go outside and walk down the street. I'm sure you'll right. bump into two or three. Yeah. I mean, university campuses are crawling with them after 8 p.m. Just go to yeah. the uh, the theater department. Just go to the theater department anywhere. You know? Pretty no. much. <laughs> no. I mean, even the, even if you're in a theater department, yeah. like you're, everybody wears black because that's what you have to wear when you're backstage. Yeah. No one really fucks around with the lights because that's not your job. What? <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to be seen in the light. You may as well have stage hands are like the perfect vampire cover. Yeah. Because they're always drinking stuff from a can. You have no idea what they're drinking. They're not going to share anything with you. And then if they if you have no idea what you're supposed to be doing, they'll point at something and just say, move it. And you do it because you're under their thrall. Yes. Yes. That's a really. My college experience was not a time in my life when I could handle being at places at times. (laughs) I I was in the uh, smoke weed and play Mario Kart department. When I was in college, there were multiple attempts to drive me into the vampire thing, but it was too serious for me. And I was I was the like Deacon Brooka, like trying to be dumb but also serious kind of character. My more recent experience, I had a little bit more fun with it because I wasn't taking it seriously. And also I got to play with a lot of accents, really bad accents. If you want to go, if you want to go somewhere and practice like doing a bad accent, just join a LARP yeah, or do a, do a, a murder mystery because it's a very forgiving crowd. I would just go to other schools parties and speak in a fake Irish accent the whole that time. Is also brilliant. Just make sure they're European accents that you're not like appropriating, you know. Oh no, always went Irish. Always <laughs> went Irish with it. I can't even do an Irish accent. I like I'm not saying I can either. I'm just <laughs> saying I can I'm just saying I can fool drunk people in North Philadelphia. I mean, everything has its place. I mean, uh, Americans are pretty easy to impress in that department. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did convince a lot of people in my crew that in my like in that group when I first started that I was British because I was using a British accent. But then they were like, wait, you're American? And I'm like, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's, that's that's short term thinking. That's not something you can keep up. That's a lie. Yeah, you're going to you, like, you can't keep that up forever. You're oh. just British now. You have to invent a whole new life. No, I don't. OK, so funny you, story. On you that only front. pull the Actually, fake yeah. accent game on people you are never seeing again. <laughs> The funny story on that front, as far as accents go, I was born in Britain. So there's like all these really cute tapes of me when I was a kid talking in this like little baby British accent. Oh, my God. But then kindergarten happened and kids are mean. (laughs) But anytime I'm around another accent, like a legit accent for any of like I'll pick it up almost immediately. Like a British accent? British. Yeah. So there was a time where, you know, Alan could be like, you know, you've been watching, 
you know, Doctor Who or God knows what else. Uh, and yeah. And then it Bluey is another one that'll that'll happen too. Blue and it, it <laughs> Luther is definitely one that Larry. happens. That's <laughs> really good. Oh my god. That's what I do anytime I watch anytime I watch Luther for a good solid after, hour afterwards. I'm just going, <laughs> but anyway, I hear you on the accent thing. And I think that's one of the things that I really find about funny about this film is because like they go pretty and even in the in the series, like they go yeah. pretty hard on the accent and just how in some cases good and in other cases it's just so bad. <laughs> but yeah. they just sort of embrace it and it it makes it all the more charming. And well, I think they lean into the like the accents don't have to be right. They just have to yeah. like, seem like the yeah. type of characters that they're pretending to be. Like, what is Jermaine Clements in his a- accent in this movie? It's a it's vampire accent. Like that's yeah. Like, He's doing a Dracula accent. It's a lot less being accurate and being more how we ima- want it to sound yeah, in a cartoonish way. Yeah. Sometimes Viago forgets that he's German. Sometimes like, he gets Vlad more is, German than like, sometimes Vlad he just Islam forgets. Yeah. Has an accent that belongs to no country, but it is a great Dracula accent. Yeah, and I feel like Deacon has a slightly like more cartoony Dracula accent. Like I don't know where Deacon's from. Or Germany, to be, I mean, I guess Germany, or he was in Germany, because like I, you know, those of us who read Nazi vampire, he's a Nazi vampire. Those of us who've read Hellboy know that a lot of vampires were targeted by the Nazis during that time, and vampires having low humanity, and um, you know, I'm not saying not all vampires are Nazis, but not all <laughs> vampires. Hashtag not all vampires. I was but... gonna say, who are these real vampires you're worried about offending? But then I remembered the stories you've already told in this episode. <laughs> yes. Again, I want to reiterate that there are LARP groups out there that are cool. <laughs> cool. There are cool people, and the shitty people that I encountered in those groups were the minority. We, we here at Progressively Horrified want to endorse the be- want to endorse the belief that not all vampires, a fictional creature, are in fact members of the not of the National Socialist Movement. But wait. We gotta talk about the fictional aspect of the of what a vampire is. Like, how do you define a vampire? Where did the idea of them come from? Well, the, the interesting thing here is that our vampires are immigrants. Like, these Look, are vampires just... that have emigrated to New Zealand from Central Europe. Where do vampires come from? To that question, uh, having done zero research into it, <laughs> but just kind of now sensing the general vibe of European history, I'm just going to go ahead and guess, mm, probably from something anti-Semitic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not it, wrong. It uh. probably ties back to hating the Jews in some way. It almost always does. Well, whenever there's, I mean, it's basically whenever there's a monster, there's generally like a, a racism in there. I mean, they were more broadly, it's a more broad hate of people from Eastern Europe generally yeah. who are moving into Western Europe and definitely oh, taking gee. their women. And oh, gee, I wonder what Eastern European subgroup might have been routinely kicked out of Eastern Europe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wonder what group could possibly have been facing a thousand years of diaspora at the time. It's, it's, I feel like the actual, like the invention of 
Dracula and, and the concept of vampires is so weird because it's so caught up in these two conflicting things going on inside Bram Stoker, him being afraid of Eastern Europeans coming to the West and also him being afraid of really wanting to fuck other dudes. And <laughs> it's, they, it's such a crazy mix that really just, it's that right mix of hating others and hating yourselves. That's sometimes what you need for a literary classic. Yeah. <laughs> Just ask Lovecraft. Yeah, there's that for sure. So there's a couple different things that talk about it, but what I find to be the more interesting one is actually explained medically. Not necessarily the getting back up from the dead shit, but the drinking of the blood, the wanting to bite people, the hypersexualization, all that kind of yeah. stuff. The aversion to water, it all sort of convalesces into this idea of what happens to the human bodies when it, body when it gets rabies. Mm -hmm. yeah, so if you've ever sense. actually seen this happen uh there's some videos out there that'll show you like what happens when somebody who has rabies or is being treated for rabies actually has to drink water like is it it, is, I, it does yeah. not look comfortable it looks awful <laughs> and if someone's at that point there's no treating them i mean yeah. pretty much what i understand and, like, like it is they, i've seen what i've seen that and it is horrifying it is horrifying. And then there's also the whole idea that they want to eat meat. Like meat is what they're after. They're biting people because they, in many cases, those symptoms will make them do that because it's like fucking with the neurological pathways and symptoms. Totally. Just like so. the sense of an animal bite makes a human being go feral. Exactly. Yeah. Which is also very interesting when you get into... That's where that where really interesting crossroads of both lycanthropy and vampirism sort of come together. And it's sort of like they were almost born out of the same original idea. Yeah. And they were just taken two separate ways. There's also the the tuberculosis I think we, uh, yeah. uh, autoimmune disease that kind of created this that added this very like the the ghostly pale you know undead quality of the vampire you know rather than just a monster that ate you in the woods yeah um you know and a lot of that came time came around the time of the 1800s late 1700s early 1800s when consumption was actually considered in many cases romanticized yeah because as you started to die you became more beautiful in this ghost ghostly way, which is so sick. The more I think yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the eight the nineteenth century was uh it's kind of a weird fucking time, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean there are a lot of those times were fucking weird. And you know, there's a I lot know, of but it's weird that we think about an entire historical era is like, yeah, things got kind of morbid and goth for a while. I mean that's where a lot of our ideas of what current I the current sort of social amalgam of what vampire actually is comes from in a large part what we thought of in the 19th century yeah um, when there were printing gothic horror books mm -hmm. essentially like, like Bram Stoker stuff and that's what I believe that this film is really at least from my theory is that it's really really rooted in Bram Stoker's sort of rule book of what a vampire is and rooted in that sort of idea of like this sort of rich vampire dude, Dra Dracula-esque with all this, like, it's sort of like if you took Bram Stoker's Dracula and just made him stupid. Yeah. And, like, yes. a normal guy and completely out of touch with the reality. There's a Three Stooges element to it where, like, yes. none of them is the straight man. 
they're all just differently dumb. Well, they're all vampires, so none of them is none like, of them. They're straight. all dumb. They just take turns thinking that they're smarter than the others. It makes yeah. me wonder what their D and D stats would be. Like, is their dump stat just all intelligent? That, yeah, I mean, I like, don't know. I mean, how incredible is Jermaine Clement face cat? Okay, first of all, you were talking about things that were scary that terrified me the first time. <laughs> just a cat with Jermaine Clements. Again, get ready for more of that in Moana. Live action Moana coming to an IMAX soon. No. That's another thing about this movie is that, that they actually use like a lot of these Central European medieval imagery as part of their like historical documentation of like the kind of shit that you see in in documentaries about European history and we see these illustrations and things like that and then we have all of these images from grimoires and and like honestly grimoire sounds like the name of a French vampire yeah it's it's like they took literally like every historical reference to a thing that might be a vampire and they were like let's toss this in for lols just you know yeah but and there's some whack shit in there that's hilarious like there's some Dore and there's some Albrecht Dore in there but then they have like the weird like when I talk about the beast they show that weird thing that looks like a like an otter with a dick in its chest oh that's that's like like weird that was such like weird monk like horny monk notebook scrawlings that's like all over those old ass books (laughs) yeah well a lot of those are on Tumblr now yeah Yeah. (laughs) all those bestiaries from like back in the day a lot of that was like word of mouth kind of stuff so the people would make these bestiaries like the original description of a manticore is it has a body like a cat a face like a man it is covered in red fire patterns and it has a tail that lashes like a scorpion Mm -hmm. that's a tiger what they were describing was a tiger but somebody's like, I don't know. It's like a cat. It's kind of like a lion, but it's got a man's face. And holy like, shit. That's the part I don't understand. Because the tigers, the stripes make it look like it has eyebrows and a mustache. The guy was probably like, look, if you saw my uncle, yeah. you'd understand. He looks just like this big ass <laughs> thing. If like you see that face in the woods and you see now like I'm looking up tiger. Through. Yeah. Because like they look like they have eyebrows and a mustache and a beard, so people was were like, "Oh, it's a it's a lion, but he's got makeup on." Like I think that's what they were trying to describe. <laughs> god like, damn it, you're right. Oh my god, <laughs> a tiger's just like a drag lion. I mean that does check out because tigers are cooler, better, and stronger than agreed. Yes. So that yes. does check out that they would be the ones in drag. Yeah. Although um, it's it's really cool because some lionesses will grow a mane. Drag queens are stronger than the troops, except for the troops who are also drag queens. They are the strongest of all. So vampires. We've got this very cartoony idea of vampires emigrating to regular ass New Zealand. And I think that it's important to talk about this because we have Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement who are Pacific Islander, right? And a lot of our characters are very like white New Zealanders. Now I don't know the the background. It feels very like the place you would fly into where the airport the city where the airport would be when you're flying to see Hobbit stuff. Yeah. Like you, this is where you need to fly into and then the bus would take you to the Shire. Yeah. And the show is 
set in Staten Island, which is where the, the characters say that their boat dropped them off and they just I lived there. in New York for years. I'm still not convinced that's a fucking real place, Staten Island. Staten Island. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been there. Well, probably for the best, because apparently there's a, you know, it's really serious vampires. I do feel like the movie does not have much in the way of, like, politics at all. It's just yeah. a collection of the funniest fucking vampire moments. I do feel like its deficiencies in representation are mostly just felt in comparison to the show, which is with its explicit everyone is queer. Yeah. And really just the fact that, like, there are, like, the most prominent woman character in the movie is Jackie, the familiar, who is not a main character like the familiar is in the show. Whereas in the show, we get the comedic force of nature that is Nadja. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I remember the first time I saw the show, I was like, yeah, when I watched the movie, I felt like we were missing any sort of like female vampire stuff that like should yeah. be there. Because, I mean, there's so... There's such a long history of female vampire and stuff. And crucially, in not not using the woman character as the straight man of being like, stop being dumb, fun vampire, fun <laughs> vampires. Like that Nadja gets to be as absolutely batshit crazy and as <laughs> fucking dumb. <laughs> Nightclub. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Nadja's great. They're just setting it on fire, but not know because she doesn't know how insurance works. Jackie, the familiar in this movie, has an interesting comment about how, like, well, if I had a penis, I would have been turned into a vampire. Dick biting club. Yeah, the dick biting club, which is interesting. I want that. I want that on t-shirt. Yeah, I don't want that on a (laughs) t-shirt. T-shirt. I definitely want that it's on gonna, a t-shirt. It's because... gonna be like the Hellfire Club. Hell but yeah. Fighting club. It's like the it's like the anti-Hellfire Club. Weirdly, yeah. Emma's in both. But the if we're talking about like, you know, is this movie feminist? There's not a lot of women represented in the movie. We have Jackie who is, you know, defined as a familiar, but she resents her position and is, you know, ultimately like Oh yeah, um, it's not like know. it's it's not like it, it's sexist depictions of women. I wanted to be conditional in saying this movie's deficiencies in that regard are kind of exposed only by the existence of the show. But I think that 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 choice for Jackie also is an interesting joke about like the the brides of Dracula. You know, like you mm. have this idea of the brides of Dracula who are essentially familiars. Like you know, I think that it's more like. I'm sorry to be arguing with you on this. I'm sorry to be an no, argument. No. And maybe this is just because, you know, with the upcoming uh, Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Hout, Nicholas Square double feature, really anything with those familiars and Jackie, I always kind of connect back to uh, the Renfield archetype. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But like Jackie, you know, we have that going on, too. And that's the thing is that there's like there's a lot of there's a lot of shit that is made fun of in this movie. Brilliantly. What? Oh, yeah. And while this movie and while they're not textually queer, this movie does a thousand percent nail just the uh, homoerotic over and undertones that come with just being any vampire story. Yeah. And, you know, but the fact that Jackie is, you know, an accessory to like Deacon sees her as an accessory and she is not like particularly sexy until she becomes a vampire, you know. She's, but she well, that's like, just vampire rules. 
Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's you saw a Deacon's erotic sexy. dance. Very yeah. sexy. Dance. That dude has some good moves. Those hips, like the stage move where he's like on all fours, but he's got his. He's like doing the hip gyration, like on all. This fours. is what Twitter back. does to me. Is that before Twitter, I watched as he'd be like, ha 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 ha. It's funny because it's just such a not sexy dance. Now after Twitter, I'm like, I know people that go absolutely fucking barrel for this scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, when you're a vampire, you're always sexy. And he just kind of is like. He slaps his thigh. Like, he he, slaps, no, slaps, he doesn't. Does he like, slap his thighs or just kind of like present himself? He just generally presents himself. Yeah. He's like, take a load of this. I love the detail that he lives in, the broom, closet, in the broom closet, too. Right. Yeah, he, but he's the young bad boy of the group. He turned into a dog yes. for sex. Um, according to the Wikipedia, this character is based off of Deacon Frost from Blade. That does not seem That's the one that have... doesn't have a citation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but considering the amount of Blade references that are throughout oh my God. what Taika, we do in the Shadows verse. Taika cosplaying Blade. Taika as Viago as Blade. Yes. Which is hilarious. Also, these it's interesting how these vampires are so like anachronistic and just inappropriate. And the kind of jokes that they can get away with, like Bianca <laughs> cosplaying as Whoopi Goldberg from Sister Act. <laughs> and Sister Act 2 and back Sister in the habit. And it was offensive because she was a nun and vampires and nuns don't get along. Yeah. Yeah. No nuns. Yeah. None. None's none. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think, interestingly, this movie, like, it's a lot of fun. It does kind of fall short on the places where you'd expect it to excel, like LGBT stuff, like social stuff and race stuff. And it, it pokes fun at does. things, but like, I think at least what, you know, it, certainly by the time we get to the show, but you would think in this movie that there would be something more explicitly homoerotic than what's in this movie. Yeah. I will say, though, in terms of representation, this movie does have Taika Waititi in a karate uniform doing Liu Kang's bicycle kick in the air. So five stars. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, we don't get enough Mortal Kombat representation in our films. Mm -mm. I was going to say I need more vampires in Mortal Kombat, but they did that one character and she wasn't great, unfortunately. They have a lot of vampires in Mortal Kombat. I think I saw a thing where the Joker was in Mortal Kombat and he was making fun of Noob Saibot. So like he is in Mortal Kombat and they also had that Mortal Kombat game show up in all the Arrowverse shows, which leads me to wonder if the Joker is also a DLC character in that universe. I mean... Probably. But I wanted to say something about the about like representation. You know, a lot of what this movie, especially with the characters playing vampires, a lot of what this movie feels like, you know, kind of making fun of what white people think is funny, especially like old white people. Right. Actually, yes. That's one of the things that I was actually just thinking about, too, is like being up north where I am at the moment. You kind of are surrounded by a bunch of people. You know, who are inevitably old money. Mm-hmm. And just how completely detached they are from the reality of what everything is right now. Like, there, there's some folks that you meet at the grocery store and you just look at them and go, I know you dance to music on a gramophone. I can't prove it, but I know that's what <laughs> you do. 
<laughs> I mean, and that's another like vampire trope, right? Is the yeah. you know the the elitism and the the gramophones social, yeah, and gramophones. They hate um, CDs notoriously. I also just love the earnestness with which the characters deliver the line "fatal sunlight accident." <laughs> I think the earnestness earnestness of a lot of lines in this movie there that is the the delivery of which is one of its greatest power. So greatest power. There is there we go. one moment that I think is full of legitimate heart. Which is Deacon's speech to Nick about like the pain of like seeing everyone you know die, and you know especially the part where he's like, and you wish they were dead, but it's still hilarious for how completely ineffective it is as a speech to cheer Nick up in any way. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah, just cracker mask and attacked by ducks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's so he's... interesting to me that it's just like. They're like, this is the big inspirational speech moment, you know, because of the way that we're staging it. But also, he kind of sucks. He's very bad at this, you know. <laughs> he he still doesn't really like him. And he feels like he should say something now. But uh, he's still, he didn't suddenly get good at giving inspirational speeches in the last five <laughs> minutes. How about yeah. fucking Jermaine Clement's, like, look when he shows up at the masquerade? I mean, that is dead but delicious. Like, I want to know what Fucking everything is that luck. Yes. Glistening. The man. And then him not being able the to get man the mask off is just... Yes. I like how they have, <laughs> they have the sting. Everybody's like, hold on, hold on. And they don't cut any of that shit out. And then he, like, does the. Da -da, and they have, like, the. That had to be the. I mean, that had to be the, just the improv and just everyone being dumb and. God. And oh, then yeah. Stu being. I love the chant afterwards. Like, Stew, 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 stew. <laughs> I also wanted to talk a little bit about, like, because we've talked about the LGBT, like, the, you know, the vampires don't, other than the the fact that they're just, they just emanate the queer vibes. It, it okay. does seem to be a very healthy group <laughs> living community. You had communication, attempts family. to address breakdowns and responsibilities. I mean. When the, when they're all being sad about Stu and and like and Viago is putting Deacon like back in his closet and Deacon saying sorry for staying asleep with a like curtain open like like you're right there is like this found family like these vampires are fond of each other yeah yeah they flat together yeah. and they take care of each other when the chips are down they're they're really upset about Peter oh oh they're of big Peter, mad about yeah. Peter. Yeah. I do love the casualness with which that one guy's like, I'm a vampire hunter. Like, fuck you. No, you're not. Yeah, I am. I just, <laughs> the guy who plays Nick, his performance is so brilliant because <laughs> the way that he kind of mumbles everything is so fucking funny. Where, like, he tells the guy at the, like, Quickie Mart or whatever that he's a vampire and the guy at the register is like, oh, yeah, me too. Ha ha ha. You're funny. And he like does the actual like crazy vampire hiss thing. Like they would call it dread gaze in fucking vampire the masquerade. He vamps out. He vamps out. out at him and he's like, and then the cashier like just is fucking terrified. And he does this like don't don't lie about transforming shit. And I can't even eat chips. Chips are my favorite food. I can't even eat chips. Don't believe the hype. It's so <laughs> fucking funny. I mean, I get that because 
by far one of the worst things about like not being able to like be of having to be a vampire. And maybe this is why you don't see French vampires. They can't handle the pain of this is not being able to eat garlic. Well, let's start, that's one of the biggest I... deal breakers is garlic. Yeah, I mean, there's oh, yeah, you do get French, but you do get French vampires in the interview and they're so deliciously France, too. I mean, I th- Lestat. I don't know if Lestat was originally French. I don't know what the fucking. I haven't actually read Lestat, any. Lestat, Lestat, Lestat is very French. Lestat okay. is extremely French. Yeah, Lestat I mean, is French for the stat. Yeah, <laughs> he's Lestat got Lestat is French for look at Lestat is French for look how fucking French this fucking vampire is. <laughs> I mean, yes. Louis Gay Lestat is he just French? French. Maybe just French. Maybe he's just um, French. That is my favorite part about that pilot is just being like, look, maybe gay French people can stop time. I don't know. <laughs> like, if you oh, haven't yeah. seen Interview with the Vampire yet, go get your week trial to the to the Showtime streaming service and then binge the season, the first season of Interview. I think you can. I think you can see the first episode if you just have Prime. Binge the whole, whole fucking fucking season. It's great. Yeah, and I, I will say that pilot episode is one of the greatest episodes of television I've ever seen. Pilot's it's incredible. But I wanted to talk about how in this movie, what, Jeremy? No, go ahead. Okay. I want to talk about how in this movie, Jeremy's trying to, like, hypnotize me, I think. He's doing this thing with his hands. Now he's voguing. Like, voguing. Now I'm just going to describe what Jeremy's doing. No. Okay. So in this movie, stop. In this movie. It's chaos. Oh, chaos. <laughs> So one of those werewolves uses the F slur, and I'm trying to talk about slurs, Jeremy. I know why you would want to run away. Yeah, Jeremy, give back your first slur talk. Yeah, climb back on. Yeah, you got that rope. Pull that rope. Emily wants to use slurs. Get back here. I don't want to use slurs. I want to talk about slurs. God damn it, man. That's true. That was a willful misinterpretation by me. I was being shitty. I'll pass up on that one. Oh, okay. I did. I liked how they said that they they called out the F slur as a swear. And Anton was like, you don't use that language. That's a, you know, and that's a stupid word. And and you shouldn't use that slur unless you're talking about a pile of sticks. Yeah. And I'm like, yay for werewolves, not swearwolves. Yeah. And, Which is and why just, one of the few times when using the F word that's still okay is that Simpsons joke about how to separate we are but humble twigs, but together we form a mighty blank. And the Transformers of <laughs> <No> sticks. <laughs> Yeah, a Reese Derby knows on what side his bread will eventually be buttered. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, it is it is crazy. You just want them to share more of the screen together, knowing just like how fucking sizzling Taika and Reese Darby's chemistry is like it's right there. And it's like you can't quite have it yet. And they're playing opposite parts at this point. Yeah. And like. Yeah, and as much as we believe that, and as much as we buy Reese Darby's character as the alpha of anything, yeah, I mean, he's giving people orders, but he is still very much Reese Darby. Yeah, um, and I think that's part of what's funny about it is yeah. that, like, you know, because the werewolves, another thing about the werewolves is that they have this, like, you know, alpha male, like, toxic masculinity thing 
that is associated with werewolves and movies we don't have any girl wolves in the pack which is mm-hmm. in this movie which is unfortunate we do get that with the with the show which one of my favorite characters she's always calling Nadia out on her outfits which i think is literally hilarious <laughs> Yeah, but the fact that the, the all the werewolves, like, I think it's forgivable that all the werewolves are men because they're all, like, trying to be, like, toxic masculinity guys, but they're not. Well, it feels like that, yeah, it feels like this very, like, interesting bro group. Yeah. This is a group where everywhere, you know they all own multiple pairs of cargo shorts. Yeah. Absolutely, and they're all, like playing themselves like they're not they're not toxically masculine dudes they're just dudes that are like they like to you know they like to fish they like to drive a car but you know they like to chase also, the mailman they like to chase the mailman appreciate that they keep from turning into werewolves with breathing exercises yes, yes. Yeah. i feel like they're sort of like the labrador retrievers and golden retrievers of werewolves yes mm. i think like, i think that's part of it is that very wholesome but very little bright yeah <laughs> so i i guess i mean this feels superfluous at this point but would you guys recommend this movie to to people absolutely yeah. not only absolutely. would i recommend it i'm actively scolding you for not having already seen it if you have there you go hit me up I'm we'll stream it to you yeah i just not for money but hit me up. I'll drunkenly recite quotes out of context to you. Yeah, I'll just recite the whole film to you because I can't probably have that much of it memorized at this point. But Don't honestly, hit me yeah. up. leave me to my dark internet bidding. Yeah. What are you bidding on? Very small puppets. Did you know that the Eraserhead baby is actually legally a Muppet? No, that's not allowed. It's true, though. Fu- that no, sounds no. like something that would be on a fucked up Snapple cap. <laughs> I agree, Ben. I, I only drink fucked up Snapple. I mean, they <laughs> they could make a lot of money out of that, you know? Make fucked up flavors and put fucked up packs. Like, that, them. like that's what that's the real fact you'd get when you get like the Snapple energy drink tea, iced tea. Yeah. I feel like there's been a lot of uh, recommending already, but uh, Carrie, did you have anything specifically from this that you you wanted to recommend people check out if they if they enjoy what we do in the shadows, the movie? If okay, if you like what we do in the shadows and you want more interesting sort of vampire kind of stuff, it would less comedy, but it would be oh crap, it's the one about following you home in the dark. Or something like that. The but, girl walks home uh, alone at night. Thank you. Oh yeah, uh, great. Oh, fantastic <laughs> movie. movie. Yeah, and then I would also suggest, just in general, a book called On Monsters by Stephen T. Asma, A S A A S M A, which is about the unnatural histories of our worst fears, and it actually talks a lot about like where where the idea of monsters come from what kind of monsters are out there, and then how Union and Freudian and psychology and neuroscience and all that sort of stuff sort of mixed together Ooh. within history to create and sort of talk about like how, what, how monsters in many cases make us more human. That sounds like a legit awesome book. What is it was called? Yeah, it's called On Monsters. Okay. Yeah, because with a title like that, I would think it would be like a shape of water situation. No, this is a, this is an Oxford. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
it's an Oxford University Press book, so it's Seriously, really, it's really interesting and fascinating. So definitely suggest getting that. And if you yeah. cannot find it at your local bookstore, uh, you can usually find it at a college bookstore. Awesome. Can't find it? Go to college. All right. Ben, what have you got to recommend? If you want more mockumentaries and comedies of this kind of mile-a-second jokes nonstop, I'm going to recommend the works of Christopher Guest, specifically This is Spinal Tap and Best in Show. Best in Show is amazing. Fantastic. Also, Simply Ballroom is pretty good, too. I haven't seen that one. I've seen a Mighty... No, I haven't seen a Mighty Win, but I've seen a Best in Show and Spinal Tap. Uh, Emily, what would you recommend? I'm going to go with a very, very specific deep cut. If you can find them, there are a series of comics that Jen and Vasquez did before the Invader Zim situation. It's Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. But in those comics, there are these little interludes called Meanwhiles. And there is one, if you can find, look up Eric the Vampire. And there is a very short comic about this teen kid who's really obsessed with vampires and being goth. And he's turned into a vampire and it is hilarious. So I would, it's sort of, I think it's a, predecessor to a lot of these but it is one of the funniest comics especially as someone who has known so many people who pretend to be vampires it's it's some of the funniest shit i've ever seen and read Just johnny the homicidal maniac comics issue number seven yes i think that's the final issue of the johnny set before he goes over to squee and then the rest is history let's go to hot yeah. topic as for me i wanted to recommend uh uh, TV show, which is actually a spinoff of this. What we do in the chat is the TV show is sort of a spinoff, sort of a tie-in remake kind of thing. But Wellington Paranormal, uh, which you can watch on HBO Max, among other places, is follows Officer Minogue and Officer O'Leary, who we meet briefly in this movie, who are, they're just named after the actors, Mike Minogue and Karen O'Leary, who who play the parts. And it's, to me, uh, sort of everything that I feel like what we do in the shadows is, but like that it doesn't always do. Like Karen O'Leary is specifically gay, a very like normal gay person who also happens to be like a, a cop in this thing. So like, you know, it doesn't come up for a long time, but there are a lot of like very like nod things to, you know, her, her sexuality. Like her mom doesn't quite understand. And, you know, there's uh, little bits and pieces in there. So we get some of the vampire stuff, but we also get, you know, everything from some like invasion of the body snatchers kind of stuff. We get demons and they do a really interesting job of, of doing something that the, the movie doesn't attempt to, which is really engaging with New Zealand and New Zealand culture and, uh, ethnic New Zealanders sort of the third main character of the show is is their sergeant sergeant Maka who is you know a native New Zealander and who's gets a chance to be just as funny and goofy as they are but also there's a lot of like a lot of things pop up throughout the show that are like actual like folklore from native New Zealand myths and you know things that he knows about Ooh. from being raised that he'll he'll have an idea about or he'll He'll have a some sort of myth that his grandmother told him about. He really desperately wants to be 
like in charge of the X-Files, but they're like, they're not very good at their job. And that's kind of like the joke of it is they're dealing with these X-Files like situations, but still very much within the world and feeling of what we do in the shadows of like, you know, even, even the most malicious and terrible creatures are still kind of funny and stupid. You know, they run across Satan at one point who is running a scam at the mall with Santa's. (laughs) <laughs> you know, somebody has accidentally summoned Satan instead of a mall Santa. So he is sort of filling in as a mall Santa, but it's still obviously Satan. It's a funny show and fun and sort of like fills in some of the stuff that feels like it's kind of missing from the greater world of what we do in the shadows in a way that really works. It's like, also documentary, the like a documentary format, right? Yeah, it's specifically done like cops where it's like, film sort of from the back seat and you know following them around when they're on the street and you know they'll stop and narrate to the camera what's going on while things continue to happen in the background and you know because it's because they're cops in new zealand they're not running around with guns they have one taser that they share between the two of them and have several (laughs) fights over who gets whose turn it is to use the taser so yeah it's it's a lot of fun there's three seasons of it and it's just like it's a ball to watch I haven't seen it, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. And I'm it, it check it out. Yeah, it sounds like a a pretty like similar spirit, a lot much more similar spirit to the movie in terms of like the New Zealandness. Oh yeah, it, it's very New Zealandy, and they <laughs> uh, you know they they do a nice share of like stuff that's sort of a reference to a movie. And Reese Darby does at one point show up working as a park ranger, but they're they're sure that they've met him somewhere before, and they can't place it because they have of course met met anton from this movie i think what you have is you know someone who is certainly willing to go off script in order to get the best out of that scene like his ideas will always be something unique and super funny and that works perfectly for something that's just a pure comedy like Mm -hmm. what we do in the shadows but for something that's a little more less a pure comedy like what we do in the shadows a little more you know plot heavy or arc heavy i think that maybe over reliance on the strength of his moment to moment may there may still be some weakness in that larger picture story structure Mm. i can kind of agree with that one of the things about working in comedy film at least from a lot of the folks that i know who work in comedy they they kind of come with a general idea. There is a script, but then they kind of riff off of different things. And then at the end of the day, they have like this massive dump of all this this footage. And then really the film is kind of created on the editing room, editing room floor. It's, um, so, it really... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, yeah, no, no. It just ahead. really seems that there is this philosophy of let's film everything we can think of that might be good. And then let's just put together a sequence of our best moments and scenes versus I have a very specific story and theme in mind. And every scene is designed to forward the plot or communicate the themes in a specific way. Yeah, it's just it's a different style and creative process. And neither is more wrong than the other, but it just has to be well suit it just either style has to be has to then use stories and projects well suited to 
each method's respective strengths. Yeah. And again, something like what we do in the shadows is fucking pure strength. And when you have something in a documentary for the mockumentary format, you have actors, you have these incredible actors in character, and they're also enjoying themselves. And I think that enjoyment is something that's really important for comedy like this, especially like something a little bit more fantastical, because that joy is infectious. Like when you see an actor chewing the scenery, it's really awesome. We've watched plenty of mediocre movies on this podcast that have one or two incredible performances in them that made that movie a memorable and great experience for us as opposed to a slog, which, you know, it could have been. I like my share of like weird campy movies. Like I love Blood and Donuts, but like I think that you have to have a little bit more when you're weaving like an epic, like something like Thor or Ragnarok was a nice change of pace and everything that was there. It showed how much those actors were just having a great time doing some crazy shit, you know? Thor Love and Thunder it was a little too reliant on that and it had this that weird like circumstantial awkward like sitcom energy that just flattened the entire heartbeat of the entire movie yeah that's my opinion it ends up kind of weirdly unbalanced in that case I, I think as much as as much as Ragnarok is one of my favorites of of the sort of mcu love and thunder and a lot of ways didn't work for me because in in trying to have fun it, it sort of misses some of the more important dramatic beats of the story or they, they don't land quite the same way the one other problem i have with taika watiti which is certainly something that's come up over time and i think bothered me more in something like uh hunt for the wilder people than it did in in some of the thor stuff He's come a long way on on LGBT representation, and he does a lot with sort of race and stuff in his movies that that works well. But he has a weird antipathy to fat people that like really throws me off sometimes. That you know, will you'll be watching, especially that movie is so is so mean to its its lead, and it's you know it's somewhat intended, but it is something that I think pops up sort of again and again in his work that like feels off for the character he seems to want to be as a creator yeah yeah that's one of the things that i actually notice a lot with women and more you know progressive films they have all this diversity whether it's lgbtqia or so many bipoc characters they're talking about real issues and all that kind of stuff but the instant there's a larger person on screen. It's like we're back to the 1970s talking about how fat people eat stuff all the time. And it's just so obnoxious and annoying, especially just like even in how like, OK, fat jokes. Fat jokes are something that kind of get to me because I've always been a larger person. And I mean, yeah, I think talking about our bodies and just in general, how the human body is ridiculous in so many ways can be funny. But it also feels like in many cases when you're talking about comedy and diversity, that whole idea of body diversity is almost always just shoved to the side and feels bad, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in Hollywood especially, just there's 
nothing and even when like there's I, I don't know anything about that movie the whale oh no um well, just not. don't yeah no. and, and that sounds like a, just the the discussion around that sounds like a horror show in and of itself the title but, itself. I, i'll just oh. go ahead and put my yeah. joke out oh. there which is we talked about when we talked about satoshi Kone, his weird antipathy toward fat people and darren aronofsky ripped him off on that one too uh yeah yeah like aronofsky even steals his bigotry yeah i mean it's it's unfortunate too because like there's so much there's a lot of discussion of diversity now it's like a big thing now but the camera like whoever's behind the camera is just still so afraid of wide people and it's yeah it, it is ridiculous and for, and especially women I've, I've been watching yellow jackets and there's an actress in that who's they always talk about how she's plus size she doesn't read to me as plus size either like she just is a normal she's not like super skinny but bottom line is that we can't really change those aesthetics unless we do it you know you can't make the excuse well like that's just what looks good no what looks good this beauty's in the eye of the beholder and that's that like art is subjective that's the bottom line yeah i absolutely agree with that and there's also the fact that you know beauty is in the eye of the beholder but in many cases the eye of the beholder is the person behind the camera yeah so if we can't actually have people like behind the camera say i'm gonna make this big beautiful person look fucking gorgeous and have the actual you know fortitude to follow through with it and make mm -hmm. them look gorgeous i mean like look not all of us can be lizzo i'm sorry i hate it i'd love to be lizzo but i can't be her there can only be one yeah. <laughs> it's like i'm getting so tired of any time like you see that and how artwork portrays that people whether it's in media of you know any type of media whatsoever especially in books my god it's just so it just feels like that like i would love to teach a class on film and say i'm gonna give you a person that is not is not attractive at all mm -hmm. in the conventional way and i want you to look make them look fucking gorgeous the end yeah, yeah. I'm sorry i, I just want to <laughs> I just want to shout out a show that I have been watching recently, which is Grand Crew. Grand Crew is sort of a, an effort to do in some ways a, an updated, you know, living single or, you know, black friends, people have called it. But it has like a much more diverse cast as far as like body types. Uh, Nicole Byer is one of sort of the main group of friends and Carl Tart is one of the main group of friends as well. And they're both bigger people. And it's not like it's something they pretend isn't there. They don't pretend yeah. that, you know, these guys are, are bigger than the rest of the crew, but they're still cute. They're still attractive. They're still friends with these people. There's not this thing that I, I think tends to occur in a lot of these movies or, or shows even where it's like they're friends, but the people who are fat are like lesser friends. They're like yeah. not on the same level as the other people. And it's a real weird thing that is sort of infected a lot of this stuff and i think it's definitely something that taika is guilty of and really rubs me the wrong way in, in his stuff at the, i feel like there's a little bit of progress with our flag means death but again you know it's also very genre and very like funny and they they certainly can make it more they the, you know decisions could have been made to make it more 
everyone's skinnier or whatever but that's another show that has a lot of that that really relies on the talent of the people you know and, and all of the, the ad-libbing that goes on when it, it it's a question mark on that one as to like which came first thrill chicken or egg kind of thing because yeah a lot of the characters the crew the extra people on there are sort of introduced as sort of this motley crew of ugly scoundrels and yeah. sort of throughout the course of the season you get to see more of who they are and it's it's hard to say whether that is the actors or whether that's having a writer's room as compared to you know just one person or two people writing this or having multiple directors and it really shows the value of collaborative storytelling in a way that, you know, is not always present in a feature film. Yeah. Now that they're not collaborative, but yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a writer's um, room as compared to a writer and a director. Yeah. I think about as much, <laughs> uh, about as much energy as we got <laughs> taking on this one tonight. Well, the Taika, Taika talk. Yeah. Thanks for coming to Taika talk. Yep. The podcast within a podcast. Yes. <laughs> Karen, could you let people know uh, where they can find you and find out more about what you do online? They can find me online everywhere, Mermaid Shelf. And you can also find the comic I work on at kamikazecomic.com. And we are all also on, unfortunately, we're on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but we are also on Instagram and Mastodon. So if you guys want to check us out there, you can find us. Awesome. Being on Twitter is increasingly like being in Waterworld see other people floating by hello <laughs> yeah yeah see a bullshit yeah. all right uh, as for the rest of us you can find emily at megamoth on twitter and at mega underscore moth on instagram and at megamoth.net ben is on twitter at ben the con and their website at benconcomics.com where you can find all their stuff and pre-order l campbell wins their weekend which is coming out from Scholastic. And finally, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jroom58 and on my website at jeremywhitley.com where you can check out everything I write, including picking up the dog night, which uh, by the time you hear this, will be out. So Woo! go get it. Yeah. For me and Brie Indigo are our frequent guests. Uh, it's a and graphic And it is novel. adorable. Yeah. It's so, go cute. Get so it. cute. It's got yeah. doggies and they nights. Absolutely. They're all of the above, baby. Yeah. And of course, you can find the podcast on Patreon at Progressively Horrified, our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, and on Twitter at Prague Horror Pod, where we would love to hear from you. Speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love it if you rate and review the podcast so uh, new listeners can find us. Thank you so much to Carrie for joining us tonight. Thank, thank you, you Carrie. so much for having me. I love this. I like being your guest. I thank you. <laughs> we like you being our guest. Wow. Oh, wow. Like, we like it when Watching you be our guest as much as I can sing I'm a vampire now it's me as a, as a vampire be our guest I'm inviting you in you must invite us can in. I say hmm. alright and thanks to all of you for always as listening for, what the fuck was that thanks to all of you as always for listening thanks Ben and Emily for joining me and until next time Stay horrified. <laughs>